Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Matthew Chandler. And this week we get um, we get to bring on Ian Decker. Ian hasn't been on in a while. We're going to get to talk about the women's team a little bit today, which will be fun. Um, but before we get in any of that, how are you guys doing today? Thanks, Gino. Um, happy to see the end of the season, which is a shame considering it looked a lot more positive than usual for once. But um, yeah, you know, I guess we've got a lot to talk about anyway, so looking forward to it. Good to have Ian back on as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be back. Not uh, not too happy about how the season ended, but you know we'll get into that. And happy to be back and talking with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, not not too happy about how the season ended. Things obviously didn't go, um, you know, as planned as 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 we would have hoped at least towards the end of the season. Uh, a tough stretch there to finish off. Um, but you know, it, it's this season's over, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up you know, put a bow on it and, uh, and kind of just move on now. Um, uh, then we'll start with the Wolves match on, um, on, on Wednesday, uh, this match Everton won one, nothing, um, which was great. And, and actually, you know, I know we talked last week about Everton being out of Europe, but it actually due to some other results, put us back in a spot for Europe for the city game, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, it didn't matter anyway, but, um, but this one ended one nil. Matthew, we'll start with you. Um, thoughts on the lineup and the setup for this one? Uh, the setup is pretty much fine. Don't really see what else you could. We said this so many times, but it's like you know, who off the bench would really make a case for being out to you. I'm just looking at the bench now. Maybe the only two who've really played regularly lately have been Holgate and Tom Davies. I think so. Um, I think maybe you could make a case for Davies. The Colgate's form's kind of dipped. So, yeah, the lineup was fine. Um, and I think the way we settled kind of nullified Wolves pretty well. I think Ben Godfrey did his usual thing. Um, I thought Michael Keane had a very good game in Marston defence. Didn't really feel worried at all about Wolves. I don't think they really ever posed much of a threat to us in this game. Um, and it's nice to be back good as well, because I was in the I was sat in the away end. Um, which and I had a pillar obstructing my my view for Richarlison's goal. Um, so kind of had to bend my tilt my head around to see it go in. Um, it felt the most sort of the most real sort of bit of football I've watched for about a year and a bit now. Um, but no, I enjoyed I enjoyed being at the match and being Matthew Goodison. And like I said, it just kind of felt that bit more. I guess felt more kind of invested in it or kind of connected to it rather than just kind of watching not even just like people who can't go to the games like you guys in America but like I feel like watching football played in front of an empty stadium feels you know wherever you are just kind of slightly depressing just seeing you know this sort of ghost, ghostly grounds with with um, football matches going on in them so it was nice um, you know there's a round of applause at the end which people have a lap of honour at the end which I think most people stayed around for. Um, I guess the only, <laughs> the only probably drawback from this game is that it maybe gave us a bit of false hope going into into the weekend, but uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But on this game, I thought I didn't think the Everton played better this season, but I think overall, you know, in a in a pretty quiet game, I think Everton probably deserved winners. 
Yeah, Ian, how about you? What you your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a great bounce back uh, from the Sheffield loss. You know, that was that one was pretty deflating. Um, and so to kind of get a game where, you know, against Wolves, you know, more of an attacking team, Triore is just bombing on the wings. It was it was a more exciting game. Um, and, you know, again, I think a lot has been made about games that Everton wins and the possession correlation. And, uh, you know, against Wolves, we held 41% and we got the win. And so, um, you know, in the five stats, like, Pete's talked a lot about how in games where Everton holds more possession, they lose, um, or they have a worse record, as opposed to games where they have less possession. Um, you know, and despite having 41% possession, you know, we had one more shot on target. And, and I agree with Matthew. I mean, I, th- I don't think that, you know, there weren't really any chances where I thought, man, like, we're in trouble, you know, or kind of we got, we escaped with one there. Um, so, I mean, I thought it was a really entertaining game. I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, it was made all the better with the three points. I think it, to Matthew's point, definitely was kind of, you know, you know, Europe's still still on the table after yeah. thinking that it was gone, um, only to be taken away. Not that I really had high hopes against City, um, but, you know, there was a chance. Um, but overall, I, I had, you know, I enjoyed watching the game. Would have loved to have been there. That's super cool you got to go, Matthew. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty solid affair. I got I got two free Mars bars from Evan for going on. That was a highlight. <laughs> and a bottle of water. Um, but yeah, no, it's just um, I, I felt the second half certainly was was a step up from Evan. I think first half didn't think either team was particularly bad or particularly good. Thought Luca Dean put in a few few good crosses which couldn't get on the end of. Um, but it felt a bitty. Felt second half we kind of upped it a bit and obviously got the early goal after the break and then game kind of petered out a bit from there. But um, you know, overall, I think Everton were deserved winners. But it just kind of sums up the season, really. That we played three games with fans and won all three. And we played 16 in the league. We played 16 without them and won the same amount, three. So, um, And you look back at the, the ones against Sheffield United and Fulham and, and uh, Villa. Um, who else did we lose to at home? Burnley, Newcastle. If we'd got, I think, four points out of them, then we'd have finished seventh. So that is just how sort of fine the margins are, I guess. Um, but I guess this game in isolation, I think, haven't played well and, and um, you know, we deserved winners in the end, albeit against the Wolves team who looked like a team who didn't have anything to play for, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, we've talked about it on the pod plenty of times, but if you're, uh, you know, if you're looking at the standings, don't, don't look at, uh, at games we've lost or, or previous results for this year because uh, it'll make your head go crazy because uh, obviously there were the chances and the opportunities throughout the season uh, to be in that spot, not even just in, in seventh, but to be even higher as we talked about before. But um, in this game, yeah, I mean, we you know played well, got the clean sheet, which is important, um, always good. Um, like you said, Ian, it gave us a little bit of, you know, a, I guess a false hope um going in you know Ian and Matthew both said um it gave us kind of a false hope going into Sunday uh where you know European chances were on the table once again um but a good good performance I mean like you said Matthew fans make all the difference over here in the states um yesterday the 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 Knicks had a you know had a playoff game and for the first time they had 15,000 fans and you know the place was basically packed they can only fit about 20,000 in there and it was loud, and you could tell how they feed off the momentum. So 
you know, it's yeah. just going to be great once you get a full stadium of Goodison back, um, back, back and, oh, uh, you know, you would hope and assume that that'll be next season. Um, yeah. But I yeah. think, sorry, the one, one thing I'd add to that was like, I felt Everton were slightly more willing to take risks in this game. And I felt like that came from, from the sort of energy that the crowd. I mean, it wasn't like the atmosphere was not like nonstop singing and shouting all game. You know, it was, I know it, was, it was a good atmosphere. Um, I think most people were just delighted to have some kind of semblance of normality again in their lives. There wasn't really a sort of hostile reception after, after the Sheffield United game or anything like that. But I just felt like they kind of willed Everton to get forward a bit more and, and the amount of sideways passes and things you see in, in a lot of home games this season I think was less evident on Wednesday. I can remember like one thing that sticks in my mind is like the 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 shots that uh, Guilfi Sigerson tried from, from long range, which I don't know. I mean I know Ben Godfrey <laughs> I know Ben Godfrey tried one against Sheffield United last week, which didn't come off. And Sigerson obviously didn't score from either of them on on uh, on Wednesday, but you can kind of imagine in an, in an empty stadium, maybe Sigerson plays out, out wide to Seamus Coleman or, you know, doesn't take that chance. And I'd rather see Everton, I'd almost rather see Everton lose the ball from trying things rather than just keep the ball but not doing anything with it, if you know what I mean. So um, I felt that was kind of like one of the biggest differences of this game, being with fans than, than, than the ones without them, really. And I thought defensively, too, it really helped, you know. I mean, you could see, like, you know, with Traore on the wing or, you know, whenever Wolves were kind of looked threatening and, you know, if Dean or Godfrey or Keen even, you know, kind of blocked the ball away out for a corner, like, you know, the fans were, you know, really positive. And, and I think that just led to tougher challenges um, and pretty strong tackles um, from our defensive side. Yeah, Godfrey yeah. especially was great at them. And I think Dean uh, was kind of... I think Dean struggles against Traore doesn't I think we've seen that before but I've certainly felt on Wednesday he had he had more of a handle on him than he has done in previous games so um, like I said I think it was just a big relief for most people to, to be back at the match who were the, the ones who were there anyway yeah no absolutely um, just uh, great to see fans great to see fans back and, and you know maybe it's uh, you know, obviously Everton's away form has been pretty good. And of course, fans back at City. And, and obviously, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, a little bit. Um, but any standout performers for you guys in this one? Obviously, you know, great, great match defensively. Um, you know, obviously, Richarlison getting the goal. Any standout performers uh, that you guys want to point out in this one? I thought Seamus Coleman had a really good game um, in terms of, you know, leading and also, you know, Kind of has this kind of weird free role now, Coleman, doesn't he? Where you see him play right back and then he's right wing back and then he's almost like a number 10 almost in the positions he ends up in. Um, and, you know, he has been very up and down uh, this season. I think Coleman started very well, kind of went off the boil, has had like niggling injury problems like a lot of players have had this season. Um, but I just felt, I can't really end the one particularly out thing like, there's not one incident that sticks in my mind as like, wow, that was that was you know amazing from Coleman in this game, but just felt like he was a lot more solid um, than he was against Sheffield United. I mean, his crossing, I don't think is is good enough, but um, you know, and I still think Everton, I think a right back should still be Everton's priority this summer. Um, but maybe taking into account 
how poor I thought he was against Sheffield United. I felt this was, you know, quite quite a strong return return to form uh, from him in this game. Yeah, I, go ahead, Ian. No, I was, I was just gonna say I'm, I've I've been a big fan all along of um, of uh, Ben Godfrey. I think that he's been one of the top signings of of the season. Yeah, and. You know, I, I think that for what he brings to the team, where his versatility, you can put him at right back, you can put him at left back, you can put him at center back, and just, you know, him being a young player, you know, he's super athletic, he's strong, he's fast, he has good control, and you've seen it a couple times him just kind of carry the ball up the season, and, um, you know, up the pitch this season, and I think that kind of player is invaluable to a team, because, you know, a lot of times we've talked a lot about Yeri Mina and Michael Keane being overlapping, having overlapping skill sets, how that makes it kind of tricky as at center back. So to have Godfrey in there, um, I thought that he's just, I mean, defensively really sound. And I love watching him carry the ball forward because, you know, he, he kind of has that pace of, of a wing back to yeah. the ball the field. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought Alan uh, as well was another one who I thought pretty solid in this game. I think him and him and Decore probably haven't haven't been maybe at their their peak since since they came back from their injuries. But um, I would like to see Alan if he can stay fit next season. I'd like to see him maybe play not like not as advanced as someone like Sigurdsson, but maybe more more further up the pitch than he, than he has played at times this year. I think if we can get like an outright you know holding midfielder sit, to sit underneath him almost. I think you can you can see in Allen how how adept he is at driving Everton forward, um, kind of more alongside Decore rather than behind him. Um, I thought he was good in this game, and I think I know he he is. I think of you know he may be the kind of signing that Everton needs to kind of move away from a bit in terms of these kind of older, bigger name players. But by the same token, I think he's had you know for the most part a good a good first season at Everton. The only times, you know, the only when he's been out, he's you know he's he's been um, you know missed really um, because you know when he's played, he's always delivered for us. I think um, I just want to see him stay fit, maybe give him you know more legs around him to let him do his own, his, you know, do his own work rather than feels like sometimes him and Nicole have to do like two people's jobs. Um, so we get a balance, better balance of that midfield next season. I think that will help out him a lot. Yeah, I, I thought that uh, Pick it, um, Pickford too. We he got what his tenth clean sheet was it? You know, I mean, after after a really shaky start to the season um, with a lot of negative blowback, I thought that he, you know, overall, if you look at the season from a holistic perspective, I thought he had a pretty good season, um, and he made some pretty big saves. Um, and if he can just you know get rid of the errors, pretty solid shot stopper. I think the thing I read this was Pickford's. Best season in terms of like shot space to saves made percentages or something. Um, and actually, I don't really, I don't remember any kind of goals that he's cost us apart from, I think one against Brighton at the start of the season, uh, and then one against Leicester in, in January where he, he fumbled that shot from Tielemans. Apart from that, I think he's had a pretty reliable season. Uh, I think Olsen's helped him coming in, and certainly since. Since mid-February, certainly since the derby at Anfield, I think he's probably been Evans' best player since then. Certainly most consistent. Um, so, yeah, he 
needs to do it over a whole season now, I think, doesn't he? If he can take this form to next year and just, um, you know, so, you know, solidify his place a bit more, because obviously he has been a, a bit in and out with with Olsen at times. Um, I think he will he'll prove everybody wrong. Pickford. I think he's already started doing that this season. I think he just needs to keep doing it now for another year. Yeah, um, you know, I love I love what Pickford's been able to do this season, um, and just you know, like you said, proving everybody wrong and, and proving people. Um, you know, obviously he had his there were, there were mistakes even other than the two that you mentioned, Matthew, that didn't cost goals and. And, and you thought we were heading down a similar path that we have been for the past couple seasons. But he's been phenomenal, really, down the stretch. A large part of the reason why we've had um, some of the success that we've had and been in the position that we were. Um, so, so really, you know, it's, it's great to see Pickford get, get up there, get another clean sheet, and, and really just um, continue to be rewarded for his performances. Um, just let's go through Pete's five telling stats um, you know, obviously we've mentioned already 6,500 fans. Everton won all three games that they've had fan, fans in attendance. Other than that, there was 16 other home games played without fans. Uh, 3-1, 4 drawn, and 9 lost. So, again, just showing the, the importance of fans. Um, Everton score on their 10th goal, or score their 10th goal of the season on off of a corner, um, which is, um, I think, only less than West Ham. West Ham, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's been, you know, a huge part of our success this season has been able to score off set pieces and specifically um, off corners. So, um, you know, it's, it, you know, they're averaging a goal every 16.2 corners, I think Pete has in here. So um, pretty good success there. Um, Ian, you mentioned uh, the 41% percent um, possession uh, they went again after seeing less of the ball, which is, um, you know, basically the recipe for success this season. Um, not the worst home record in our history. So this secured, um, this secured the, um, I guess we averaged, a, you know, a measly, as Pete put here, 1.16 points at home this season, which is just second worst after picking up the three points um, to 1957-58. And then um, <laughs> we already know the outcome of this, but Pete put in here seventh or 10th, one game to go and still something to play for. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, uh, Tottenham losing to Aston Villa, you know, opened a little bit of a hole for Everton there um, in Man City, um, in the Man City game to, to maybe take advantage. But um, as we know, we'll result. Um, we'll, we'll go over that. Um, anything for you guys to add really to this one? No, it's it just, you know, pretty routine one nil win. Yeah. I say routine, it's not routine for Everton this season, I think. But um <laughs> I did kind of go away from it feeling like I feel I do honestly think this home run that we've had this season will will go away next year because I I, I do honestly think that like I know we have problems breaking kind of the lesser teams down, and that's that was been that was a problem under Silva. That was a problem under the Allardyce and the Coombe and Martinez, whatever. But I think just to reiterate, I think it kind of showed me just even if they're not like like I said, if even if it's not like a really vociferous atmosphere, I think just just being there and and 
you know, knowing that people are kind of watching them and scrutinizing them or, you know, almost kind of forces them to take more risks and um, be a bit, have a bit, inject a bit of urgency into the game. Um, and in that respect, it was what, honestly, the second half especially was probably one of the most enjoyable times I've had watching football this season because it felt so much more involved and so much more, um, like I said, urgent, I guess. Um, and so, you know, the, the away form, I don't think will be as good either by the same token. But if you can if you can find a happy medium between the two, then I think that would be progress, wouldn't it, at least? So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I um I mean, you know, it might have been a routine win, but it did give Everton its first league double over Wolves for the first time since the seventy five, seventy six season. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, to kind of have that and get a little bit of uh of history. Like there were times where, you know, like, you know, beating, you know, beating Liverpool, right? Like there were some moments this season where, you know, they <laughs> made positive history. Yeah. Um, and then there were times where, you know, you just think, well, if we drop this home game to Wolves, we'll have the worst home form in history, you know. And, and you know, of course, there are some outstanding factors. The pandemic definitely played a part. You know, no fans was was huge in terms of creating that atmosphere at Goodison. Um, but, you know, just kind of a little bit of history there and kind of a cool stat that, you know, for the first time in, you know, a good, good while they're able to pull a league double over Wolves, um, which, you, you know, has, has a pretty solid roster. We only did the double over um, Arsenal, West Brom, and Wolves, I think. So, <laughs> kind of sums up how the season's gone in a way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, just a, you know, a good, a good one nothing result. Um, oh, sorry, I, I did want yeah. sorry, I did want to say about this game, because um, I was pretty annoyed. What did you guys think about the James, James Rodriguez absent absentee news? Because uh, he's a mystery. Everton fans are not allowed to watch him. I think that's in his contract. <laughs> or he can only he you know he he's only allowed to play you know fifty percent of the games, and then you know you have to factor in injury, and so it totals to like you know he ends up playing maybe like twenty games a season or something that you get to watch. <laughs> but in, in, in fairness, in fairness, when we did talk with um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the Real Madrid. Um, person okay. yes when we brought him on he i mean he mentioned he's like listen you're it's, it's a good chance you're only gonna get 20 games out of him he didn't you know because of injury and stuff like that so um obviously it's disappointing i'm sure for you guys too matthew who were at the game i mean it's three home games that fans were there and he didn't play in any of them uh so it would have been nice to see him in person and, and just kind of witness what he does but um i mean i i think it would have felt worse about it if he played in the man city game because, I mean, I guess yeah. the fatigue thing is, like, a weird, like, vague, vague, like, reason, yeah. whatever. But if he, like, was fatigued and then we won and then he played in the Man City game, I would have felt like, oh, he just didn't want to play. I guess maybe because he yeah. didn't play in the Man City game, it was more like, okay, like, maybe he actually had. You know, yeah, I think, I think part of it was Ancelotti wording. And I, I kind of wonder whether, you know, a manager who's, who's a... Uh, mother tongue is a is English or British maybe would have used a different word and maybe got slightly lost in translation um that um or maybe you know he doesn't understand their connotations saying someone's a little bit tired um didn't really expect the reaction that it got I you know it's disappointing because you want to see him play and it does feel kind of frustrating because you think he hasn't played that much 
And if, you know, his excuse was he was tired after the Sheffield United game. Well, I think everyone was tired after this, after watching the Sheffield United game, weren't they? So, um, having said that, I don't have a problem at all with him going back to Colombia as he seemed to do on on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Because if he can't play, then he can't play. It doesn't really matter where he is. Um, and I believe that he saw his daughter for the first time in more than a year or something. So it's kind of hard to begrudge him having the opportunity to see her and, and do that. So um, it's kind of two sides to it. There's one way it's like you you can see his side of it. You, you know, from your, your kind of own selfish point of view, you'd like to see him play and, and you want him to help the team as much as he can. But I guess like we said all season, really, it's like if if he didn't have these kind of niggling problems all the time, then he wouldn't be he wouldn't be at Everton, would he be still playing at a higher level? Yeah. Um, and he probably doesn't I mean, I'm sure he wants to do well with Everton. I'm sure he, he does care about Everton, but he, I'm sure he doesn't see Everton as like the pinnacle of his career or you know, I'm sure it wasn't his sort of boyhood his childhood dream to play for Everton. So this idea that people aren't committed, I think, is just a kind of a trope of, of modern football for the most part. I think it's not I don't think it's exclusive to how much he is if he thinks of Everton as a bit of an afterthought sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ian? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those things of how much do you really know about the behind the scenes with a club, right? Yeah. I mean, so many times managers are, you know, they, they give such sparse details and, mm-hmm. you know, there's leaks and reports and X, Y, and Z, but you never know really what's going on behind the scenes. And, and you know, maybe, yeah, he is dealing with something and, and he is quite injury prone. So maybe there's something like that. And there are just so many other factors other than maybe, you know, <laughs> than behind what's being reported, you know, in a 10 minute, 20 minute interview, whatever Ancelotti gave where he dropped that news. Um, so disappointing not to see him play from, from, you know, from a selfish fan standpoint, but you know, it, it's hard to really knock the player, um, you know, unless short of him, you know, Hamas coming out and saying, I don't want to play. Like, you don't really know fully what's going on. So bummer not to see him play, but you know, I'm not too broken up about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Agree, agree, agree. Um, All right, let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back with some talk about Man City. All right, we're back and uh, talking the final match of the season. Everton took on Manchester City on the road. Manchester City getting their uh, Premier League trophy in this one uh, in their final home game. Um, Everton with a shot to, with, with some help, win or, or just get a better result than, than Tottenham, um, who, who played a team that, <laughs> that needed to, a result again in the top four, and Everton playing a team that really had not much to play for. Um, and as you would expect, as is typical for Everton lately in recent memory, uh, things went completely the opposite way. Um, Tottenham won, so it didn't really end up matter- mattering, but Everton losses won 5 nothing. Um, really a, a just complete battering. Um, Sergio Aguero had got two goals on his final game for Man City, which as a neutral, obviously is a good thing, but as an Everton fan, um, you were hoping not to see, um, thoughts. I mean, there's really not much <laughs> to really go in detail about in this one. Cause it was a, you know, like, like I said, we got, we, we got battered, but, um, Ian, we'll start with you thoughts on this match. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's one of those where lower possession doesn't translate to the win. <laughs> you know, City came out and just hammered us uh, from the start. You know, they held 68 possession, 68% possession, um, just, you know, almost more than doubled our passes. You know, we just kind of 
you know, it was one of those games where you go in and you think, okay, there's a chance, but you, you know, you purposely don't want to get your hopes up too much because you know that, you know, maybe not the best result could come. And I don't know. I just, it reminds me a lot of last season where the final game of the season was, was that loss to Burnmouth, you know, and just kind of, it's you the know, same game, of, wasn't it, basically? It was the same, that, it was right. the same kind of game as not Bournemouth. Right, you know, kind of where it's like we, the, you know, Ancelotti selects a team to put out and it's, you know, it's not, you know, like a B squad or, you know, filled with youth players, but they just, obviously there are a lot of differences between a relegated Burnley and a league winning Man City, but they just came out and they did not look great. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a tough game to watch. And, and even, even as an Everton fan, you know, one, one city was up, you know, 2-0, 3-0 and Aguero comes in, you know, you know, he's leaving. And so it was, it was kind of a nice way for him to cap his time at city um, you know, he's kind of one of the few club legends they have. And so to, to, to see him get that brace was, was kind of a poetic end for, for one of the you know, top strikers in Premier League history. It was really fun. So, for yeah. Everton season. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, um, and, and just on Aguero, too, I mean, a really cute, cool mural that they put up in, in City for him. Obviously, one of the, you know, craziest Premier League moments um, in history, well, yeah. in recent history, um, they, they, they put up a mural for him. But Matthew, uh, thoughts on this one? I like the guard of honor that Holgate and Keane gave Aguero as well for the fourth goal. I thought that was basically <laughs> uh, I, I thought this, I mean, I, I just said, I watched this game with a really horrible hangover as well, which didn't help. Um, like I, barely, I just got out of bed like two minutes before four o'clock and then thought, go on then. And uh, <laughs> which I hadn't bothered. Um, no, I think, I think Everton were terrible really, weren't they? I think, and as soon as maybe even 1-0, certainly 2-0, I just said game over because you know, we just throw in the towel so easily, don't we? That's the problem. So, and, and granted, we haven't done that as much this season as last, maybe the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, nah, it was done after 15 minutes of this game. I actually thought we started okay for the mm-hmm. first 10 minutes. Um, you know, we looked a bit kind of enterprising and maybe... Dominic Calvert-Lewin had a few openings, didn't he? Or certainly one, which I remember, and didn't take his chance. Um, but it was, it was, and we don't deserve, deserve Europe for playing like that because you know if that's if that's what you serve up when you know you've got, and even if it didn't matter in the end, if that's what you serve up when you still got a chance of Europe, then you don't deserve it, do you? Um, I felt like there were a lot of players there who probably played their way out of Ancelotti's plans now. I mean, he's already kind of alluded to it, but I think, um, you know, this kind of summer clear out or, you know, letting players who don't want to, who aren't committed to Everton leaving. And I think this will probably just help him make up his mind um, because it doesn't feel like <laughs> there's a kind of futility in appointing Ancelotti, I think, if you're going to saddle him with the amount of dross that Evan have got from all these kind of failed previous regimes. And it's and not that he's incapable of improving players he inherited. Like, I think he has. I think Calvert-Lewin's got a lot better. Tom Davies has got better. Pickford, last three, three months at least, has got better. Michael Keane, for the most part, has been better. But it can only take you so far when you've got kind of an, a uh, you know below-standard squad. And certainly beyond the first 11, there's, no, there's nothing there really is there at all. 
Um, I just realised James Coleman was on the bench yesterday. Because <laughs> I, I thought he was injured. I, th- I didn't. I, just, I don't know. Because Mason Holgate was poor, wasn't he? Right back as well. Um, but it feels it feels like kind of watershed moment this because I think um, I think now is is really the time where Ancelotti needs to to, to sort of put his stamp on Everton as as a club, not not just the the first first team. I think. Um, because this is the, we are kind of now at the point where things kind of unravel for Silver and, and Martinez and Koeman, that, that kind of second full season we're approaching now. Um, doesn't and if, you know if, Ancelotti, if we said this before, if it doesn't work with Ancelotti, then it's kind of hard to know who it will work with Everton. Um, I, I thought defensively we were just shambolic yesterday, especially that fourth goal where Davies just gets dispossessed so easily by Fernandinho. And then Aguero just runs into the box scores. And then there's the fifth goal where Aguero, who's what, five foot seven, I think, win, that, wins, that, wins that header against is it Godfrey. Uh, Godfrey, I thought, was poor yesterday, actually. I know he's been fantastic, but um, I think it was him who let Aguero run off him. It was too easy. What Michael Keane's doing for, I think, the second goal, where he's trying to play out of def- defence against probably the best team in the world on his own. It's just embarrassing. I mean, it's just such lack of common sense about Evan at times. Um, obviously, we missed the penalty to Sigurdsson as well, which kind of summed up the day. Thought he was very poor. Um, and then even the two up front. I mean, I like both of them, but I, and that last season they, they seem to work well together. But this season, certainly lately, I don't know if it's detrimental to Richarlison playing up front rather than wide of Calvert-Lewin. I know he wants to be a, a goal scorer and maybe a more central player, but I don't think he suits that. Certainly not this sort of diamond narrow system, which I don't really like watching, to be honest. Um, I, I much prefer the start of the season when we played with that 4-3-3. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a a fitting way to end a season which has kind of crashed and burned in the last two months or so. I mean, to think we were second on Boxing Day, we were fourth after we beat West Brom at the start of March. Um, and I would say that maybe 10th is, is a slightly, not misleading, but yeah, slightly harsh because Everton hadn't been lower than ninth all season. Uh, we finished eighth under Allardyce with 49 points. We finished fourth under Moyes with 61 and we finished 10th with 59. Uh, we're eight points off fourth. We'd be 17 points off fourth last year. So there is, there is progress there and it has been an improved season. But it's still been a failure in terms of actual success because we haven't we haven't achieved anything really apart from a top half finish. Yeah, um, yeah. that's just how it felt watching this. It felt like that half season in microcosm really in a way. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the ten thing, I think if you're if you're uh, someone who's looking back on this season um, and, and maybe you know wasn't you know wasn't around or didn't watch this season or, or you know you're just getting into Everton you know over here in the states or whatnot. This season is going to look like it wasn't that great, but there were some really good times in this season. Um, you know, 10th, I think, like you said, Matthew, is, is a little misleading just because of how well we played at times and how successful we were at times. And, um, you know, just this, this last couple months has been absolutely um, just kind of dismal for Everton. Um, and, you know, obviously for us, it's, it's disappointing because, you know, to finish 10th after – the start we had and even some of the success we had and the stretches we had in the middle of the season, um, you know, that's, it's disappointing. But in terms of this match, 
Um, like you said, I mean, it really wasn't much of, you know, Everton had some chances, but never really felt like they were um, going to really, um, you know, put pressure on Man, uh, Man City in this one. Um, the Sigurdsson missed penalty, um, which uh, we can get into the numbers a little in a little bit, but um, that was a 2 nothing that offered Everton a chance to get back in the game a little bit. Um, who knows what it would have done for them, but of course, missing the penalty, um, you know, <laughs> we'll never know. Um, but it's, yeah, just, just a bad performance and, you know, kind of the, you know, um, you know, the, the summary of what kind of has been the last couple months and, and how Everton have fallen from, from grace the last couple months, um, and kind of puts the cherry on top. So disappointing for sure. Um, was there any standouts in this one for you guys or just kind of just bad performances all around? Yeah, I think Matthew kind of said it, just bad performances all around. I mean, you know, especially against it, it's, it's hard to have really good performance against a team like City. A lot of it's just going to be you're sitting back and absorbing pressure and, you know, maybe you can break on the counter. You know, a, a draw kind of feels like a win. Um, but especially, you know, a 5-0 drubbing just – doesn't do doesn't do anyone any favors in, ter- in team in terms of a you know kind of player grades and post match you know man of the match so for me there wasn't really anyone who did did too much um, after this game. Jordan Pickford I thought was the only one who which sounds bizarre because he's about five in but it was about as good as it got really. I think all the others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, can't, I, I honestly much. can't remember anything Everton offered in that second half apart from one run I think where. Was it Richardson could have played Calvert-Lewin in? That was it. Just yeah. Really, yeah. really kind of meek. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at who he brings on. He brings on a Wilby and Bernard, who I would, I would suggest neither of them really have a future. Um, as well as in, as well as in Kuku, who's a, who's a kid. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of soul-searching to do. I mean, one of the things I like in peace, five telling stats is, uh, <laughs> right. I went to my first Everton game in February 96, which was ironically a 2-0 win over City. Since then, I've seen no trophies and no top three finishes and not even any any relegations. <laughs> Yet apart from the relegation battle in 98 and the year we came fourth, nothing, nothing's really happened to Everton, which is, I mean, I wrote about that kind of last week saying it just feels like kind of, we feel like we just kind of exist. We don't really, don't really do anything, we're just, we're just there. And it's another season like that. This season feels ultimately very, very similar to the ones that have gone before it, albeit with you know a few extra points and a few more highs. And he finishes off by saying, you know, three months, three months without Everton, which um, we're all thankful for. Um, but no, the other thing I would I would say is that like this summer, I think what Everton really need to reconsider is, and I kind of touched on it before, but there. The transfer policy needs a lot of of freshening up, I think, because while I said before Alan's had a good season, Thomas Rodriguez has had a good season. I think both of those players who are who are both uh, who both have to celebrate the 30th birthdays this year, both of them are not sort of they they've missed too much this season for us to depend on them as much as we do, I think. And I don't. I'm not. I'm not ageist. I don't mind saying older players, but I think you can't necessarily build teams around them because they have less of a kind of shelf life. Um, like is Alan? Are either Alan or Rodriguez going to be having regulars in 
two or three years now, probably not. Is Ben Godfrey or Calvert Lewin? Hopefully, yeah, still. So, um, and also this kind of, you know, the sort of signing of, you know, bigger teams, unwanted players, like, apart from Dean and Mina and maybe Rodriguez, I don't think it's it's not worked at all, has it? You look at Iwobi, Walcott, um, even Sigurdsson, Tottenham, Gomez, yeah. Um, I just want, I'd like him to be a bit more imaginative this summer. I think in some ways, I feel like, the less I know about a player I haven't signed, the more optimistic I'll feel about them. Yeah. Because I think people like Eze at Palace, I think, you know, would easily get into our team. I know he's injured, but, or, you know, Kufal, Suchek at West Ham, Rafinha at Leeds. These are not players that I knew anything or very much about before they signed. But I mean, anyone yeah. Leicester has signed recently. Anyone Leicester has signed. Harvey Barnes, recently. James Madison, you know, really came along. James Madison, well, James Madison was a championship player, wasn't he? He came off. Yeah. Um, James Justin was in League One, I think, with Luton. So I just think Everton too often go for the easy, the kind of the A-list signing, the, the big name. And Godfrey kind of broke that mould. And that should be the blueprint. It should be younger, hungrier players who have everything to prove, really like him and Calvert-Lewin. That, that's what you build a team around. You, don't, you can't build a team around these sort of late 20-somethings, early 30s, because there's no... There's no longevity in it. So you're constantly yeah. having to rebuild every year. Yeah, I think I, that's just representative of Ancelotti, right? Like, he likes the older players. You saw this season, Anthony Gordon ships him away. You know, I, they did bring in Nkunku, but he didn't play very much. Moise Keane, out, right? Like, John Joe Kenny deemed not, you know, not right. And so, you know, and, and he turns to older players. And, you know, that's great in terms, in terms of the short term. But long term, what does that do for your, do for your well, sport? He, he, he does, but I, I would say... Moise Keane, I don't think, wanted to be here, so I don't really have a problem with him going. Uh, Gordon, I think there's a lot of potential. I, I, he still looks very raw to me, so I think sending him out on loan was probably not the worst idea. I, I completely get that not got a lot else in reserve there, but, and, you know, I think we've seen him give a lot of, you know, he played maybe slightly out of necessity, but he's played people like Branthways and Virginia. Um, and um, obviously Godfrey's been a regular Godfrey's still pretty young isn't he and he's been a regular yeah Calvert-Lewin I know he's played a lot of football but he's still got a lot to learn I think Um, on on Yango Thierry Small even got you know brief cameos I know I'm kind of scraping the barrel here a bit but I think I think he does I think he has too and he will give youngsters a chance if they're good enough I just think um, there is that dependence on Maybe more experienced heads, but I don't think Ancelotti doesn't strike me as someone who will exclusively go after old players. I just think Everton's young players just aren't good enough. Well, maybe that, but maybe also like for his first season, he just wanted some kind of sticking plasters to get through the first season, and then can kind of start a proper rebuild this summer. Yeah, that that's that's what I would say. I I, I feel like Allen and, and Rodriguez were more, and mainly specifically Allen, were more. Hey, we need. For me to implement what I want to do here, I need players in, and, and these guys are the guys I can get in right now. You know, um, yeah. <clears throat> plus they're, with, they're short-term solutions to long-term problems. And, and it was a shorter window too, so yeah. um, not much time to really research it and look at players. So I think they more filled holes and and just kind of it was like this is our short-term fix right now. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think we'll see more 
players. You know, the other thing is Ancelotti had to put his his culture and and put his plan into focus. And and again, those are short term fixes to do that. You know, you can't get when you get younger players in who don't know your system. You know, it, it takes longer to build that. So, um, you know, I I I think this summer we're going to start to see a, a change in things um, in terms of that and maybe buying some younger talent and. And obviously we have some talent that, <clears throat> excuse me, has come up. And, you know, Ellis Sims has been doing really well at Blackpool. So maybe he'll get another. Yeah, I, who knows what will what'll happen to him next, next, um, next, next season. season. Maybe he's in the first team. Maybe he's, you know, loaned out again. Anthony Gordon. You, know, you never know what is going to happen with these players. But I think we'll start to see a little bit of change, hopefully now with a longer window, a full window for Ancelotti to really work and, and, and get the players in that he wants to get in. So. The other thing I would add is I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that you need European football to attract these players. You know, like we said about Eze before, who I think is a really talented player and really exciting player. And yeah, Crystal Crystal Palace, I don't think ever ever finished in the top half, or they'll have once, I think. You know, we convinced Ben Godfrey to join without European football. So I think if you can convince they're the kind of players you need to recruit. And if you if you can do that without Europe. Yes, it would make it easier if you got European football, but I don't think you need it. Yeah, I, I think that the thing with European football is is maybe you're not attracting the Hamas Rodriguez's of the world. But again, we're we're saying maybe we don't need that. We don't need that. We need a player that's maybe less well known, which you don't need European football. Sometimes you just need Premier League football to do that. Um and and in that in that case, you know, like a Ben Godfrey. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, you know, and 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 you know, you hope that, you know, with a full summer Obviously, there is still a little bit of a wrench thrown in this summer with the Euros, so not going to be much recruiting going on, I don't think, for the first month or so of the, um, of the, uh, you know, of the, of the the transfer window. But um, you know, hopefully, we're, we're going to start to see Ancelotti and Brands' plan for for this team and what they kind of have in mind. Um, we've kind of gotten away from City a little bit just to go back from that. Um, we'll talk. You know, I know we mentioned a little bit of the five telling stats, but we'll go through them. Um, just in terms of penalties, we mentioned Sigurdsson. He scored just 66.6% of his Everton penalties. Um, you know, he's now missed four of the 12 penalties he's taken for Everton. Um, you know, the Premier League, in Premier League history, 83.1% of the penalties have been scored. So um, he's just kind of under that. Some of the other players who have taken penalties for Everton, Hamas Rodriguez's career success, or excuse me, not for Everton, but in their career, uh, Hamas is Rodriguez's career success is about 82.6%. Calvert-Lewin, three for three. You know, some smaller, you know, Richarlison, four for four, some smaller small, smaller uh, samples there. Um, finished 10th uh, is that progress. As we mentioned, I think, you know, if you look at the season as a whole, it, it was, you know, you know, a successful season. Just things petered out at the end. Um, fade away. Again, just, in, and, you know, another thing to that, it's Everton's worst position all season, the lowest position they had. Before the last day of the season was ninth um, in, in, in this year. Um, nothingness, Matthew, you mentioned that. And then nearly three months for no, no, no Everton for nearly three months, 83 days, 11 Everton free weekends. So uh, it's not until August 14th that Everton competitively get back on the, on the pitch. Obviously you'll have friendlies before that and whatnot, but we'll see. Um, you know, what, what is in store for this Everton team? Um, you know, anything else you guys want to add before 
you know, we're going to talk about the women's team next after the break, but anything you guys want to add to kind of wrap up this season right now, next week, we're going to do a, a whole full season preview, but any, any kind of mm-hmm. put a bow. Yeah, I, I thought that, I mean, if you look at the table, right, like, you know, beat, you know, got a win and drew with Liverpool, beat Chelsea, beat Leicester, double over West Ham, beat Tottenham on the opening day, double over Arsenal, got a win against Leeds. So with the exception of City and United, you know, got a win against each of the teams ahead of us, at least one. And then you look below, Villa, not a great record against. Newcastle, awful. Okay, Wolves got the double. You know, Southampton lost to them. You know, Burnley lost to Burnley. Fulham, you know, Sheffield. You know, it's it's kind of, in terms of the position, you look at the teams ahead and you think, you know, Everton beat all of, you know, most of them. But then you look down the table and you say, well, those are the teams that, you know, the games we're supposed to win, we didn't. And the games that, you know, people might have seen as a little bit more difficult, we were able to win. Uh, so this is a weird dichotomy where 10th seems kind of, like, doesn't seem as bad as it could. Because, no. I mean, you know, you lose some bad games, but then you win some good games. And, you know, if you can get, a, you know, flip a couple more of those results against, you know, relegated teams next season, you know, that, that makes a huge difference. I think what it is for me is, like, we finished 12th last year and were absolutely dire for nine-tenths of the season. And we finished 11th twice under Martinez and were absolutely dire for, you know, even 99% of both seasons. And it doesn't feel like we've been anywhere near as bad this season. And the points totals are pretty high. We're only two points behind what we got under Cumin and finished pretty comfortably in seventh. So, and but then you look at like, you know, the two, the three teams have gone down. None of them hit 30 points. Obviously, more points have been taken off them, which is why there's a kind of bigger gap between the bottom and the top. Um, but that's they're, they're the games which cost them, not yesterday. You know, Sheffield United at home, Fulham at home, uh, Burnley at home, Newcastle at home. They're, they are the ones which which killed Everton's season, really not. As bad as yesterday's performance was, you know, losing 5-0 to Man City is maybe more predictable than losing the home games that we did. So they're the ones which really killed Everton's season. But also, you know, the thing I would say is that we lost to Man City 5-1 on the last day of the 03-04 season away against a much worse Man City team than this one, obviously. And then the next season we finished four. So who knows? Maybe history will repeat itself. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the season, um, you know, you guys really hit the nail on the head. There's really not much else to say. It's, it's you know, you look at the season and 10th and, and kind of feels, feels you know, leaves a little empty feeling, um, in, in, you know, in your, in your stomach uh, just because of how well the season went at certain points. You know, the start of the season was so successful. Um, you know, the mid, there was a middle part of the season beating Liverpool, beating some of these teams that, you know, we hadn't been in recent years, beating Arsenal on the road. You know, there was some really high highs of this season and some really successful Everton's, you know, Everton football. Um, there was obviously some low Everton football, but that's unfortunately, you know, I know, Ian, you say like, you know, hopefully that'll change next year. Unfortunately, I feel like this has been something that we deal with every year is just losing to some of these lower teams. So hopefully as Ancelotti starts to work in his system more and get more players in, um, you know, that starts to change, but really since the beginning of the season, it's been, it's been pretty dire on the bench and we we've known that. So Ancelotti really hasn't had too much to work with. Um, but yeah, I mean, 10th looks bad when you look at the table, 
But when you look at the season as a whole, I, I think that there was some really um, you know, successful parts of the season that you can look back on and, and have fond memories of. So, um, you know, we'll, again, like I said, we'll talk about the season as a whole next week on next week's podcast to wrap everything up. But, um, but that's it. Um, real quick before we move to the, um, to the women's though, I, I want to get your guys thoughts. Um, obviously Everton wore the new kit, the new away kit on, on, uh, on, uh, Sunday, yesterday, uh, time of recording is today, Monday, the, the 24th. What were your thoughts on, on, on the away kit? Ian, we'll start with you. I like it. I kind of like the black Jersey. I like the, I don't know what color, the red tangerine, whatever color that is, the sash that goes across. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. I think it works. I think it vibes well with our team, kind of like a, a strong defensive mentality, kind of try to work hard. Um, so I thought it looks pretty clean. I think, I think there have, maybe it's not their best away, but I think there have definitely been worse aways. And I'm not too broken up about seeing that mustard yellow or, you know, kind of off yellow color go. Um, so I, I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate the the mustard yellow, but um, I like the black. It's kind of like I don't know. It's just it, you know, with um, I think everybody's say obviously I haven't seen it in person, but I think everybody's saying it's a burnt orange sash. Um, so I, I, I kind of like it. It's it's really um, I don't know. It's just it's just like it's mean, you know. It's like you go out there and you're looking at it, and it's all black, black right? like from top to bottom, and you know. Calvert Lewin's got those black boots that he wears all the time. So, um, you know, I don't, like I said, I, I don't, I don't hate it. Um, I think, I think it'll be cool to, 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 to look out for, um, as, as the, the next away season, um, you know, starts up and we start to wear that Jersey a little bit more, um, time in and time out. Um, you know, I think it'll be cool. And it, it, you know, obviously we'll keep you updated. Obviously there's going to be a couple other jerseys coming out. I didn't love the seafoam green one, so um, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll we'll see what they come up with the third. Um, Matthew, your thoughts on on the on the kit, real quick. Oh, well, I hope you don't wear it again after yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, I think it kind of you kind of cursed it now. Um, <laughs> Honestly, nice, I thought the know, same uh, thing a little bit too, but I prefer it to the seafoam green, whatever that was. I didn't like that. Um, well, the gray shorts, the seafoam green and the the you know the gray shorts just looked didn't really match very well. No, I like I did like the yellow though. I was kind of I'm sad that we've maybe not kept that. Maybe it'll be a third kit, who knows? But um, you're kind of setting yourself up for a fall when the first time you're wearing new kit is Man City away, really, aren't you? So just have bad memories from now on of that kit, I think. Hopefully, hopefully we can make new ones uh, as as the new season comes around. Um, all right, let's take a quick break and then let's get into um, the Everton women's team. All right, we're back and talking Everton women's uh, team. Uh, obviously, Ian, our resident correspondent on that. Um, Ian, tell us a little bit about what's been happening in the last few weeks. We haven't gotten to talk to you about them in a while, so uh, kind of catch us up on on where the Everton team, Everton women's team is you know, right now as, as we're heading into, you know, late May and, and kind of packing things up, I'm assuming, right? Yep. Yeah. So the season is completely ended for them. Um, they, they finished the league season. They got dumped in the FA fifth, um, FA cup fifth round by Chelsea. Um, so no more competitions. They, the, um, the FA league cup is, is also over that finished a couple months back. So their season is completely over. They have nothing more to play for. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I, 
similarly to the men, they started off in excellent fashion. Uh, their form was was great through the first couple, you know, first month or so of the season, and and then they kind of dropped off. But the the women's team is, I mean, without a doubt, surefire the fifth best team in the league, um, because of the of the final standings, they finished fifth. They have the fifth most wins. They're tied for fifth most, um, or like fifth best in terms of losses. They have the fifth most goals for, fifth uh, fifth least goals against, and then of course fifth in points. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, across the board, very consistently, kind of the best of the rest, if you will. And really, where the season came down to in the league, they did not beat either of the top four teams. They lost twice to Chelsea in the league, twice to City, twice to Arsenal, twice to United in the league. Um, and just that, that was the difference. And they finished, I mean, a comfortable 15 points off of fourth. Um, the only two wins they managed against the top four, um, was of course in the FA cup in the 2020 FA cup quarterfinal, which was postponed to this season because of COVID. Um, they beat, they had just an incredible win against Chelsea. They beat Chelsea two, one. Um, and then they beat Manchester United in the group stage, of the league cup one um, nil. So I think that they're, they're definitely the closest to United out of those three teams. Um, but yeah, it was one of those seasons where they had some, they had some games where they, they drew their opponents when they should have won. Um, they had some great moments, you know, you know, making it to the FA cup final was incredible, but then they just couldn't get it done. And you know, the, the team knows kind of look, they're fifth right now. The goal is to, to bridge that gap. You know, there's a 15-point difference. It's not like they were fifth, you know, in three, six, even nine points off of fourth. Um, but, you know, just kind of it, – it's tough. I think that Willie Kirk, similar to Ancelotti, right, like he's had a couple years now to mold his team. And going into this summer, you look at recruitment, who are they going to bring in? Um, there's some pretty big areas that – gaps they need to fill. Um, you know, kind of how does he go about that? This season at the – transfer deadline they brought in Jill Scott from City who's you know she's 36 very experienced player but you know not not a long-term you know feasible option for for them in midfield there so kind of who does he bring in what players does he bring in to strengthen the squad because uh, the recruitment last summer was was quite strong and you know I mean when he took over they were floundering at the bottom of the table and now they're a comfortable fifth so overall, I think the season would be a success. There's clearly a blueprint of, of how to get better. The team knows what it needs to improve on. Um, but, you know, kind of a couple of disappointing results throughout the season. But overall, I, I think it was – you could quantify the season as a success. Yeah. Because of how they, because, because of how they started and how they, how they finished, Ian, do you feel like the women's season has been kind of a mirror image of the, the men's team? Yeah. Definitely. I, I see a lot of parallels. Um, you know, I was, I was riding real high that first month, month and a half of, of the season, you know, kind of September was a lot of fun. And then it just kind of, the, the results stopped coming and it just, both teams kind of got really inconsistent. And so, yeah, I see a lot of parallels between the two. Um, I saw over the weekend, um, one of their players had retired, Ingrid. I, I, I can't remember her last name. Ingrid, but Ingrid Mowold. Yes. Yeah, so uh, really cool, actually. Chelsea, I think, gave her a little guard of honor there and, and, and some really cool things that um, the team did with some, some shout-outs, and they put a little video together for her, which I thought was really awesome. Um, maybe speak to the importance of, of kind of her and, and, and kind of where this team's left without her going into next season. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought her up. I was going to bring her up um, anyway. Yeah, she was signed from um, not Real Madrid, but the other women's team in Madrid, Madrid CFF, um, this past season. And, I mean, she is just a consummate pro. She's She's been around, you know, for several years. She's 31, um, and she played – she's been capped 70 times for Norway, has been at two World Cups, um, you know, has been at, at, at a Euro – and so an extremely experienced player. And just in terms of, you know, breaking down her contributions this season, she's one of those players where, you know, statistics, you know, you might read her resume and, and think, okay, you know, decent player, not, not much shows up here. You know, she didn't score this season, had one assist. Um, you know, her expected assist, 1.5 expected goals, 0.2. But she is a right back. But really where, where her contributions come up, so I'm on uh, FBREF. Uh, that's how you say it. Yeah. Website. Her, she had a seventy-seven percent completion rate this season. She attempted about sixty passes per ninety. She had about three and a half progressive passes per ninety. Almost four progressive carries per ninety. Um, and then about almost four clearances, you know, per ninety. So, in terms of a player that you know you kind of bring in. She didn't know the system before the season, but was able to slot in very easily. And FBREF breaks down in terms of her contributions. Um, they put similar players. And the, the two players kind of who are probably the most notable are Marin Mielda, who's also Norwegian. She plays for Chelsea. And Jonna Anderson, both of whom are fullbacks for Chelsea. And, you know, both are two of the top defenders in the league. And, you know, to be... I think it's a very fair comparison to put Mo Wold into that, in in with you know in that category with those players. So, you know, just kind of from a defensive standpoint, solid, solid player, and she goes forward. And so I think that it's it's definitely a loss for the team. But again, she's thirty one, and so if they can get younger at that position, you know, I think that long term that will help their outlook. But it was definitely sad to hear the the news that she was retiring because she's been a lot of fun to watch this season. Yeah, I think probably similar to like kind of a Seamus Coleman where, you know, maybe she could have been a, a piece off the bench or, you know, for, for them um, just also, but also bringing in a younger talent. Uh, Matthew, what were you going to say? I was going to say to Ian, were you kind of, did you expect, they obviously went out of the cup on uh, Thursday to Chelsea, who, you know, Champions League finalist uh, won the league by two points. Did you was that kind of similar to the City game for the men yesterday? Did you kind of see that coming? Yeah, definitely. Really I, yeah, I mean, outside, so Everton played um, Chelsea four times this past season, um, twice in the oh. league, the two, the two league games, and then once in the FA Cup, and then once in the, um, like yeah, once in the they, 2020 FA Cup. Once in yeah, the they beat them last year. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they beat and them? So, the right. And they yeah, got yeah. the win 2-1 um, in the 2020 rendition of the FA Cup in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, and then in the league, four nil, three nil, and then of course in the FA Cup just recently this past week, three nil. Um, you know, so ten ten goals against, no goals for. I mean, Chelsea is clearly the better team, and that was one of those those games where you go in and you say, you know, can we take a point? Can we get a draw? And um, I think I think that the FA Cup draw was pretty unkind to Everton to get Chelsea in the fifth round because you look at some of the other teams that got maybe maybe more favorable draws but yeah it was, it was kind of it was a tough loss but pretty scripted yeah it's amazing i'm just looking at the goals scored 
and Everton scored 39 in 22 league games, which seems, you know, okay, just just less than two goals a game. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea scored 69 in 22, which is basically <laughs> just a bit more than three per game. So I guess that kind of sums it up really. Where do you where do you think uh, Willie Cope needs to kind of look at bolstering last year? Because like you said, they had a pretty good window last year in terms of boosting their their ranks, and they obviously brought people in like uh, recently, like. Izzy Christensen and uh, Valerie Govan. Valerie Govan. Alicia Lehman, they brought in. Jill Scott. Yeah. Sandy McIver, I think she was quite a new signing as well, wasn't she? I think so. Yeah. Their their sort of hit list seems to be better than the men's team anyway, but where where do you think they they need to look at this summer? Yeah. um, You know, of course, the aforementioned right back with with Mo Wold. Um, Left back, they're pretty set. I think that for me, it would probably be on the wings. Um, Claire Emsley would be kind of my my first tier starter on the wing, and then Kurt kind of fluctuated between uh, Nico Sorensen and Haley Rasso throughout the year. Both both are quality players. Um, Sorensen is more kind of a a powerful player, will drive the wing and look to get the ball in the box, and Rasso is more of kind of a crafty winger who's looking to cut inside and take her defender on one on one. But neither really kind of established a firm starting position under Kirk this season. He, I mean, and neither really struggled with injury. So it was one of those, he kind of looked at who's in better form. Who, who am I going to put on that right wing to compliment Emsley? Sometimes both Rasso and Sorensen played on opposing wings because Emsley, Emsley was out. Um, but I think for me, winger where, you know, can you, especially after losing a player like Chloe Kelly, who's one of the most dangerous players in the league this past season, you know, can you get a a player like that on the wing who is going to be crafty, who's going to get the ball into good areas, and and who can create their own shot? Um, so I would say that that's the position that they're in most dire need of. Any you know for next season also, is this a team that you can see with a couple of those additions making a jump into that you know you know top four and, and kind of breaking in, or is it, are they still a little bit of a ways away? I think that with with a couple signings and another year of the players kind of learning Kirk's system, being familiar with the system, I think top four is doable. Um, like I said, I think that they're close. They're closest to Manchester United, um, who themselves, I mean, Casey Stoney just stepped down. Stuff is kind of up in the air with United right now. And Everton was able to get a win against them. Um, Arsenal, Everton did not play well against Arsenal. Um, City... The record does not reflect it, but you know, City needed two goals in stoppage time to win the F, to win the FA Cup final. Um, and then in the league, City won. There was one game that was like four three zero. That that one I, I just I discount that one. But there was a game that was one nil, and City scored. You know, in like the seventieth, eightieth minute. So Everton were competitive in that. Do I think they make the Champions League, which is the top three spots now? I don't think so. But I think top four catching a team like United, I think is very doable um, if you bring in a couple new pieces. And, and I mean, Everton, the women's team has the mentality of, of a top four team. I mean, they know what they need to do. And it's kind of, they've talked a lot about it this season, the players, the coaching staff, everyone knows what it'll take to be a top four team. It's just about getting the right personnel in to make that happen. So I think they'll catch United. I think they could switch with United there. But I think, at least in terms of right now, Champions League is probably a couple years away. Gotcha. All right. Anything else you want to add, Ian? Anything we haven't we haven't really talked about with the women's team? 
no, I, I just think it was, you know, it was a fun season to watch. Um, it was, it was cool watching two, you know, watching the men's team and the women's team in tandem and kind of riding the highs and lows of, of both teams. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed covering the team and hopefully next year we'll have a little bit more to celebrate. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, well, you know, and, and, and we'll obviously, you know, keep you guys updated on everything that happens with the women's team. Um, you know, obviously some big, some big things ahead for both the men's and women's team, which is a lot of fun. So, um, I think that's it. Anything else you guys want to add on a whole before we wrap it up? All right. Um, Matthew, Ian, thank you guys for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Gio. And to you guys out there, thanks for listening. Like I said, we're going to have a, a season preview or excuse me, review, review. episode. Um, yeah, not preview. Um, a season <laughs> review episode um, next week. And then I think we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus after that and, and kind of, you know, um, it will be, the podcast will be less frequent as um, the time goes on through the summer. Obviously, we'll, we'll be on for big news, but for the most part, until the season really gets ramped up again, we're probably going to be um, less frequent. Uh, thank you all for listening. Keep subscribing, following, um, you know, liking, whatever, whatever you got to do to get this episode. Keep doing it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.